0: And welcome to the bunker daily, where we try to stay sane, um, despite living in the worst of all possible continuities. Joining me today is Jason Hazley, a comedy writer whose work includes Charlie Brooker's Screenwipe, Philomena Kunk, that Mitchell and Webb look, the Paddington films, Radio 4's Agenda, and those Ladybird books for adults, which apparently sell more copies than the Bible. Hello, Jason. How are you? Hello, Ian. I'm very well. How are you? Yes, very good. Very good. I noticed that somehow during uh, the lockdown, you managed to simultaneously write and release a book about the lockdown called instructions for the british people during the emergency how did i mean i mean how how is that possible how is it possible that you have managed to actually write a, a, a book in this period of time and release it
1: well okay so the first thing you need to know is that it's really a great deal shorter than the sort of book you're writing, Ian. <laughs> um, so that's one way you can do it, because if you only need to deliver 10,000 words, you can kind of do that in about three and a half weeks, it turns out, and especially when there's two of you, because I co-wrote this book with my pal, Nico Tatarovic. But it was sort of, it, it sort of came out of a, well, first of all, a publisher said, could you do something? Um, and we said, yes. But it also came out of a, a thing that happened very early on in lockdown, um, which was uh, I'm, I'm part of a, a little WhatsApp group, which is just local dads who once a month would get together on the first Thursday of every month and go and have a pint, play some darts, have a natter and catch up with each other. And all that ever went through this group was um, just little messages like, hey guys, don't forget our drinks Thursday or possibly some follow-ups the morning after. Blimey, what time do you get home? And except when lockdown happened, it suddenly turned into a place where I was getting 45 memes a day. Hmm. From blokes who, unlike me, had never been kettled with their own thoughts and stuck in doors, which is what (laughs) writers are. And so we sort Nico and I sort of thought, actually, we can reach out and say, guys, it's okay if you go mad right now. Here's how you cope with it and just make it funny. So that's what we did. We, We just wrestled the book together in about three and a half weeks.
0: You know, I thought like COVID was anyway quite disturbing, but now that you've redefined it as making the entirety of the world's population have like the psychology of a writer, it seems even worse than it actually was when I was experiencing it. It
1: really does. It really does, doesn't it? You know, <laughs> um, but it's, you know, we, we, uh, writers are, you know, strange creatures. They, they They engage in a lot of struggles with literally nothing except thought processes. So it sort of feels like that's a lot of people know how that feels now that's not to uh, that's not to trivialize it because i'm sure some people had a genuinely hard time and still are still are by the way i i've, I've got a headline in the guardian today really made me lose my shit the headline was back to the workplace after covid-19 are you fearful or jumping for joy and it's the word after in there like this problem has gone away this problem has not gone away the virus hasn't gone abroad for a few weeks still here After COVID-19, fucking idiots. They mean after lockdown.
0: You've, I mean, you've actually, you've had COVID, haven't you? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: How how, how was that?
0: Was that that fun? (laughs)
1: Um, Well, there were five of us in the house. Um, The youngest, 11 years old, was either didn't have it or was asymptomatic, the second of which is much more likely than the first. My partner had a clanging headache and extreme breathlessness. Um, My niece, who lives with us, had a hacking cough. Um, My daughter had a two week cold, which also came with rashes and nausea and uh, headaches and being in bed for two days, unable to move. And I had a sort of mild cold for about two and a half days and and one episode of dizziness and a slightly elevated temperature. So we got away with it. I'm really grateful because I'm a lifelong asthmatic. And I just assumed that if the thing came for me, it would just simply finish me off and I'd end up prone on a, on a ventilator somewhere.
0: Did having it make you sort of more afraid or did it or less afraid, given that you, you know, you obviously had like quite a sort of a, a mild response to it.
1: Well, it, it did two things. First of all, because there was a, there was a point at which we suddenly as a household went, hang on a second. We all got very ill between February and March. I wonder if we've had it. So my partner and I both went to get the antibody test um, and it came back Very, very quickly, within six hours, I think I got the results and mine came back positive and hers came back negative. And I sort of went, that doesn't tell us anything. That really doesn't tell us anything. So I I reached out to to some friends and a friend of a friend who is a doctor on a Covid ward at uh, St Thomas's said, yeah, but you don't need to produce the antibodies to deal with it. You can deal with your immune system can deal with it on its own without you needing to produce the antibodies. And the and because it's so contagious, the chances are you basically all had it, but some of you hmm. haven't produced the antibodies. And that unfortunately gave me a feeling of some confidence. And hmm. I sort of thought I need to be wary about being confident about this because we don't know about the, even the medium term, let alone the long term effects of this. Yet, what is what is. The strength of the immunity, how long is it likely to last? You know, if there is immunity, we're assuming there is because that's our understanding of other coronaviruses. So, it, uh, so I was, I was wary. Maybe I got some relief from it. I suppose you know, it was quite a relief to know that I was still alive. Basically, having passed, <laughs> passed through the valley of SARS-CoV two.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what's your, um, what's your approach to things now? Are you, are you going out? Like, are you going to pubs? Are you going to restaurants?
1: I very gingerly stepped into a pub uh about a week and a half ago at, at what I knew would be a very quiet time of day just to test the water. Mm. Um and it's and it was a bizarre slightly lonely experience I have to say. Um so just
0: like normal then. Mm.
1: Just like normal really. Yeah, yeah, just bleak and public. Um and uh, but what I did do was I was walking back um Uh, One Friday evening, I walked past my local and it was uh, a friend of mine worded this for me. Um, This is not my wording, but it was very interesting because it was both busy and looked empty. It was full, it was as full as it could be, given the conditions, and when you looked at it, it just looked like there was hardly anybody in there. It was very strange so i'm, I'm going 'm I'm, I'm just i'm going out and walks as much as i can i 'm always carrying a mask and some sanitizer with me, like everybody else I'm, i haven't been to a restaurant yet, but i 'm dying to go out and have a restaurant. I tell you what I did Ian. i was I had to get some numbers for my accountant and i had to walk back through my bank statements and read them line by line and it was a very strange experience because i could go through there and go march the 12th last meal in a restaurant march the march the 16th last taxi march the 18th last cash point i could actually put all these last moments down find them could put dates on them and put a pin in the map and go that's it have i got i've got a fiver in my wallet which has been there since
0: february (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's never gonna get spent, is it? What do you um what do you make of the way that TV has been over this period? you obviously you write for TV, you spend an awful lot of time talking about TV. It's sort of gone through various phases during during the lockdown, hasn't
1: it? hmm Yeah, it certainly has. I mean the first uh the first phase, which involved doing that um Charlie Brooker's antiviral wipe um, mm-hmm. That was a, there was an accident there that Charlie happened to have a director staying with him when lockdown happened. And Charlie went, that means I could film from my home. <laughs> and of course, everything else can be done remotely. You know, you can write remotely, you can edit remotely, you can do posts and all that remotely. So that was just an accident that uh, that, that programme was able to be made. But I, I observed two things. Firstly, when Charlie said for for antiviral wipe, he said, can you have a look at some of the uh, the post-lockdown TV so I might do a piece about it. So I watched the first episode of Have I Got News For You that went out after lockdown. And it was pretty fucking horrific because it <laughs> it just looked like, it looked, like host, it looked like hostage videos, you know? <laughs> there were these captive people trapped. And they'd even done the weird thing, the production had done the weird thing of placing... The squares in which the people appeared, but hovering above the desks in a virtual space, mm. As, mm. If for, as if four as if as if for sort of rectangular robots had turned up to the recording. And the other thing it it prompted me to think was, you know what? After a day when you've been sitting there on Zoom calls, which are exhausting, they're so exhausting, and there's so, so much exhausting. protocol, so tiring. A day when you sat there and you come off after Zoom calls, the last thing you want to do is to turn on a TV programme that looks like another fucking Zoom call. You know, (laughs) It was so unsatisfactory. But I think TV has done a second thing now. I think it's gone, as far as I can tell from the producers I'm talking to, instead of saying, well, we can just do this from home, they're now going, not that. We need to think about this exactly the other way around. We need to say, what have we got and how can we use it? Hmm. To which, obviously, animation says, "Hold my beer," because <laughs> that, that's going to be absolutely fine. But it's like it's the other things. I can't. I haven't watched any of the soaps yet that have been that have been recorded since uh, since lockdown because they all shut down, didn't they? Mm-hmm. But You can't imagine if you've ever been onto the the, the East Enders lot. It's tiny. It's absolutely tiny. Everything is three quarter size. So. So the idea of anybody getting any distance away from each other, they'd look like fucking giants if you did that. you know. So I can't imagine what, what EastEnders or Corrie looks like. I'd have to have a look at it, I must say. But I think what's going to happen is now there's going to be some resourcefulness is going to come into play and that people who are in TV are going, right, what can we do and how can we do it? Because there was a moment where there was a, those um, Alan Bennett talking heads resurfaced, didn't they? And I thought, oh, we're entering a golden age of monologue. W- hmm. Without thinking, which I'm going to stand by this, uh, this is, you know, shoot me. But the last thing the world needs is a golden age of monologue. <laughs> if, in, an, in an age where we're of, of solipsism and Instagram, we don't need monologues as well. That's not going to go well, you know.
0: So what are they, so what are they going to look for? Because you, do, you don't mean like showing repeats and stuff like that. You just mean kind of like fundamentally rethinking the whole approach of how you do new programming.
1: I think so. And I think you probably have to fundamentally rethink formats as well and go, what can we format here and how can we format it and what does it look like? Now, I don't know what that is yet. And there's, I'm, I'm working on a couple of things, but obviously because it's early doors, I can't say much about them at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think this, there will be a lot of repeats come the end of this year. Um, and there'll be things like uh, the, the, the guys who do ghosts, who are the same people who did Horrible Histories, they managed to get their last shots in the can on the Friday before lockdown Monday by crunching two days shooting into one day. So they just basically got under the garage door as it was shutting. So their series will come out, but there's a lot of things that I think are just simply not going to happen or are going to be put on hiatus for a long time. I've got some friends who are filming, though. Um, My friend Mel is going off to film in August, and the whole production is going to the location and isolating for 14 days before anybody says action. So they'll all be together, and they'll basically form a bubble. That's that's one version of it. But another friend of mine is working on something at the moment. Uh, he was shooting today, in fact. And I said to him, What's the, what, what does it look like down there? And he said, well, it's all masks and sanitizer and uh, uh, one-way systems and things like that. And it, all the actors were tested before they started shooting. So he was quite reassured by this, and then he got on set and he realised as he was talking to the crew that none of the crew had been tested. So this was yeah. just a bit of theatre to keep the agents happy, mm-hmm. which is pretty extraordinary. But then what? It, how do you do this? How, if you're making a film, which this is, how the fuck do you get that production back up and running? It's so complicated.
0: I get the bubble, and I understand why. And, of course, you can raise a problem about everything, but it does feel like it, it sort of goes against that whole sort of that growing pressure for people to try to make sort of filmmaking uh, something that was actually compatible with having a family and having a normal life and being able to be there for your children and things like that whereas once you're saying to people well the only way to do this stuff is just to you know fuck off for two weeks before you even start you know doing any of the filming yeah that then means you're very stridently going in the opposite direction
1: I do wonder as well what the risk assessments look like for something like this, or whether they even exist, whether they 're just going you 're uninsurable, so you might as well get on with it because if you those that whole crew like if a cast and crew goes away and then isolates for fourteen days let's say as a reasonable size of cast and crew there are sixty of them on day nine, if one person gets ill, what happens because that's mm-hmm. sixty people then you if you shut down a production. You've then got, there's insurance claims left, right, and center. And I just cannot imagine how what I need to do is I need to, I need to find out where all the, uh, where the hot insurance deals are being done in town and start playing golf there, don't I?
0: (laughs) (laughs) There's a weird um, sort of emotional response to TV at the moment. Well, okay, I noticed this in me, there was obviously, you know, I am my age and I live where I live. So the vast majority of what I see is streaming and I haven't really watched sort of actual live TV basically for years. And for some reason, I can't remember what it was, I ended up watching a bit of live TV at the beginning of the lockdown. And I found the sort of, what are they called, the continuity announcer, the person that chats in between yeah. programs. I found that so reassuring, I can barely <laughs> tell you. It, it offered this degree of sort of like normality and kind of a weird sense of community that I just hadn't had much contact with and I wonder about how much that sense of, of like seeking reassurance as part of people's TV watching habits at the moment alongside wanting to be entertained
1: I'm really sure it is I'm sure people are, are looking I mean I guess if you're the if you're the scheduler you're looking to program things which are kind of automatically reassuring so anything that features nice pictures of food for instance is always a go-to for that <laughs> um, because I'm me um, when I was having a little bit of a wobble early on I I to, to reassure myself, I watched Threads um, and a two part documentary about the Jonestown massacre, um, and is that that made that made life feel slightly better because I went, well, it's not that bad, is it? You know,
0: I mean, if someone had asked me, what do you think Jason's watching? I probably would have guessed that, like both of those things.
1: I know you've got me pegged as a curmudgeon, Ian, but you know, I, I do occasionally have a I have a sunny day now and then. You know, so I'm usually optimistic.
0: <laughs> I've just never seen you on any of those dates, but like, I, I, will tell you, I will happily take your word for it. Are you watching any kind of classic comedy at the moment? Is, I mean, has, has there been much of a comedy diet for you, or are you actually mostly just watching sort of post-apocalyptic <laughs> horror?
1: Um, I'm I'm not watching uh, a lot of comedy at the moment. That's only because I'm trying to. It's, no, it's because I can't get to the TV because everybody else has got greater priority for it than I have. I've been watching The Last Dance, which is great. Um, uh, I've been watching lots of documentary actually because um, because it's uh, well, it's, it's it's all those documentaries are set in a place called Reality, which no longer exists. <laughs> so that's quite reassuring in itself to go there and go, oh yes, you remember when. And like everybody else, I'm also watching people and going, you guys are too close to each other. Can you move apart, please, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in every situation? Um, the, uh, the the thing I would really like to do, and actually I'm going to start doing this, is I need to sit and watch. I need to watch some orchestras playing because it's the biggest thing I miss, is being able to sit in a room with a bunch of musicians making music live. I, I would love to get that back. I can't wait to go and sit in a concert again.
0: Mm-hmm. What just did you, um, I mean, in the book, was it quite odd trying to find humor in the situation or did it feel kind of natural? I suppose there's, you know, people always say the thing of like, is there anything funny about, I don't know, I mean, you've literally written comedy books on Brexit and Trump. So if you can find humor in that, presumably it's not such a hard call to do it with COVID.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I was, I definitely was happier when I was writing books about mindfulness and hangovers (laughs) and things. Um, (laughs) No, it was with the, with, with the book, with the, with the, pithily titled book um it was uh, it was not about the virus it was just about literally how what happens when the shit hits the fan and you get trapped indoors how do you cope Mm because what we didn't want to do is we didn't want to talk about illness or death because that's when you end up going there's nothing very funny in this particular postcode i think i need to try another postcode (laughs) um so we so we just we just did Things about kind of self neglect, which we knew was a thing that was going to happen. I mean, this like this has been an amazing year for hair, hasn't it? It really has. <laughs> this has been like this has got to be the hairiest year of uh, of the last I don't know 100, 110 years, something like that. Um, so we did things a bit, you know, like um, uh, growing shower mushrooms and how to play indoor rugby, you know, with a cushion and uh, and simple recipes like potatoes on toast. It's just it's that kind of nonsense, you know. So it, so what it isn't, there's nothing in there about disease and death and things because that's not that's not where the fun is, frankly.
0: Mm. Do you feel I, like I was whenever I've watched sort of a political program. I, I do sort of feel like we are entering, there's very few elements of our lives right now that could be described as a golden age. But for sort of political satire of leaders, it does feel like we're in very, very strong. And even just looking at Grant Shapps or Dominic Raab, let alone Dominic Cummings, they do look like they're sort of almost, they're so uniquely preposterous that it sort of feels like they were made for you guys to to write about basically.
1: Well, yeah, maybe, except that there's a, the sort of howling despair bit is that we are, we what we are definitely living through is a golden age of incompetence, you know. And I mean, I'm sure this, I can, I'm sure I could turn this around and turn it into something, but it, but it's very, it's very dispiriting to see. I mean, I don't, I, I sort of think I've corresponded with you about this privately as well and said, is that person really as thick as they seem when they come out and make an announcement? And you said, "Yeah, yeah, they are absolutely as thick as that," you know, because you either it's know them or you know, who know them. But it yeah. is astonishing, you know, it's astounding. Like like the masks. Okay, you need to wear masks in a shop, and that that ruling came in on day 124 of lockdown i mean that is unfucking believable you could easily have put that on day 1 7 14 or 35 not 124 it's absolutely extraordinary i think we can have some fun with this but we've got prop with there's johnson is a is is such a slippery figure you know you can pin him in various ways but unfortunately, he's sort of he's he's kind of an ambassador of the, of the of the trivial and the incurious, um, and it's and it's a, because he's sort of regarded as a figure of fun. That's that appears to be some sort of defence, but it's not a defence.
0: Is it quite um, sort of weird as a comedy writer to have? I mean, like the comparisons between Trump and Johnson are uh, it's well often overblown. There are similarities, but in both cases they seem to kind of see themselves and are actually sort of comparable to a stand-up comic. They <laughs> think of themselves as someone that's funny. And, and even, like, I would say the, the way that many of their supporters talk about them is as if they were something. Like, it's just like, oh, it doesn't really matter. You know, he said the wrong thing. He's just that kind of guy. You know, he just talks like this. And they seem to find them funny, right? Like, pe- the supporters of Boris Johnson are constantly laughing with him. And the same thing when you hear those Trump rallies that most of the time, they, they spend a lot of that thing laughing with him. Is that yeah. quite concerning from a comedian's point of view, that, that even they see themselves as a stand-up comic? Well, that's, they, they, they misunderstand
1: what a stand-up comic is for, and what a stand-up comic does, you know, <laughs> which is that they actually shine, they shine a light on, they, they reveal things, not necessarily truths, but they reveal things via looking at the world in a completely different way. Mm-hmm. That's it was that lovely thing that, that um, oh, God, who was it who said it of someone? They, they were standing at a slight angle to the universe. That lovely phrase, mm. at a slight angle to the universe. That's all kunk is doing. Kunk looks at um, someone running to work and concludes that, therefore, they must be frightened of their house. That's how she <laughs> operates, you know? It's, That's it's that simple. Whereas watching but, watching, but Johnson and Trump, and I agree with you, I don't think they align at all. I don't think they're necessarily very comparable. Um, no more comparable than, say, Trump, and I don't know, a frog or a bus. Um, but <laughs> you, if you look at like Johnson, who's been, who did, who did that crap joke a few weeks ago in, uh, in PMQs, more briefs than Calvin Klein, something like that. It was, it was a parting gesture to um, to Keir Starmer, and then the following week he did exactly the same gag. It was more flip flops than I don't know what it was. Whether it was mountain yeah, yeah. mountain warehouse or something. you've got no fucking range here, mate. You've got to, You need to do more than that. That more blank than blank uh, metaphor. <laughs> even, you really need to get off page one of your fucking book and try a bit harder. Trump, on the other hand, Trump has no sense of humor whatsoever, and it's a perfectly, absolutely evident. You know that when he that he did uh, he did that thing about saying um, I said to them, slow down the testing, slow down the testing, and then his aide said, no, he was joking. And you go, well, if you Mm -hmm. go back and look at his body language and listen to his tone of voice, there's no joking there. There is no joking in that man, despite the fact that he's not smart enough to fucking joke. (laughs) And then he immediately dials it back and says, no, I don't joke about anything, thinking that makes him sound good. And it just makes him sound 15 times the dick he already sounded, you know? (laughs) I think these people, you know, they, they... they may, they may think that, you know, stand-up is really, is fucking hard. It's got to be said, stand-up is very, very hard. I don't think either Johnson or Trump is anywhere near smart enough to kind of embrace the thing that stand-up does. If you talk to anybody, as I have, seriously about stand-up, I've, I've I had a long conversation with Dara Brian about it at some point. And the amount of work that those people are doing when they're on stage is phenomenal. They're working a room. They're recording material. They're structuring the material and getting it right. They're timing everything. It's all—it's mm. like music. You know, comedy is music. You've got to get the fucking notes right, and they know how to do it. And it's much, much harder than it seems. If you, when you go and see Stuart Lee, you get some impression of how much work there is there because he leaves some of the working visible for you mm-hmm. um, deliberately because he's doing a kind of meta comedy inside comedy thing. But if you go and see someone like Dara, he'll do like an entire two-hour show and never, never get into a sweat. And he'll have audience engagement, and it will be different every night. And it's just—it's a masterpiece in control. It it takes an enormous mind to do stand-up properly. And without knowing either Johnson or Trump personally, I could pretty much guarantee you neither
0: of them has anything other than a deeply average mind. Uh what are you uh what are you doing for the rest of your lockdown, not lockdown, whatever it is period that we're that we're living through now. Are you writing anything?
1: Yeah, I am I'm I'm writing I'm doing some stuff for a for a transatlantic sketch show. Um I've written with with Nico, uh, who I wrote instructions with, we've written two more books that are coming out at Christmas. Um and the, oh, other, thing the thing other thing I'm trying to, to do
0: for Christmas. Oh that's a very modest rate that you've set there for yourself
1: again, Ian, 10,000 10, words, whisper, <laughs> 10,000 words. What's, what's your, what are you contracted to write for uh, your book about um,
0: liberalism? I don't know. I mean, it, it wasn't set down in words. In fact, most of the time the editor's just like, just please, please stop sending me words. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: interesting. Um, my, my, uh, my friend Robert Webb wrote a novel which came out this year, and he sent it into his editor and the editor. I hope he doesn't mind me telling this story. I'm sure he won't. The editor said to him, it's very nice. Um, uh, it begins and ends beautifully, but there are three middles. Would you like to choose which one you <laughs> want to use?
0: Very good. Well, we look forward to, to reading all of those over our miserable lockdown Christmas. That would um uh, that would I know. Oh, the, I'll tell you what
1: the other thing I'm doing with lockdown. I'm trying to do something completely different. I'm trying to learn every single Stephen Sondheim musical. <laughs> what the fuck? yeah i know i knew you'd like that you see i told you i had some sunshine in me i just started i started i went to see a production of company that was on in the west end last year and thought god i love this show and so well i started listening to it a lot and then i thought let's just let's hoover up all the others let's just learn them so i want there to be a point at which anyone can say to me do you know and then name a song from uh sweeney todd or something at the piano and i'll go yes i do so i'm learning them i've learned three so far
0: what, so, you just, so basically, your superpower is to be able to sing any of his songs.
1: On oh, the I can't. Clock. I can't sing. No, I'll let someone else do that. But I'll be able to play it, and I'll know that, and I'll know what key it's in, and what time sig it's in. Oh and wow! The
0: no, that yeah. is impressive. Yeah, hmm. it's
1: also pointless, but. Um But you know, God knows, I need other things to do. It's either that or walking. I one there was a day where I was trying to get in, like trying to walk at least eight kilometers a day, and I can do that where I live because I'm next to a great big common and it's lovely open land and things. But there was one day when it was shitting with rain, and I ended up walking round my dining room repeatedly until I had done eight kilometers. And I thought to myself afterwards, (laughs) that is the definition of fucking madness i must look like one of those tigers that's gone berserk in a zoo and just prowls around its enclosure looking stripy and insane and i realized that was a low point for me
0: <laughs> yeah i mean again How are, you I, so are you coping are you coping all right uh, all right yeah there's been very little walking around tables i'm sorry to say but i do actually find it very easy to visualize you walking around that table and grumbling to <laughs> <laughs> of course of you. you do. Yeah. <laughs> Jason, thanks so much, man. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks, Ian. Take care. Thank you very much for listening to another Bunker Daily. We'll be back with a full show on Wednesday, and we'll have more dailies coming up on Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Cheers. The Bunker Daily was presented by Indunt. It was produced by Andrew Harrison. The assistant producer is Jacob Archbold. On audio production was by me, Alex Reese. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker Daily is a Podmasters production.